Today's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 24. So I find it to, it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members alone another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Can you relate? If you came here this morning, I believe you're probably somebody who genuinely wants to do the right thing. But we don't. Now sometimes we need help realizing that. Because sometimes we can be a little too arrogant. A little too focused on pointing out the shortcomings in others and failing to see the laws that occupy our own eyes. That's why I preached our last few lessons. Sometimes we need some help to wake up. We need some help to see those things that we need to wrestle with, not just pointing out the faults of others. But because we've gone through those last few lessons, I think now we're ready for this one. Because hopefully if you're here right now, you realize that you sinned. Hopefully, if you're here now, if you were really paying attention to what our brother Nick just ministered, if you really communed with our Savior who died for us and rose and lives and reigns, hopefully you regret your sin. Yet we're still left with the problem that we just can't seem to stop it. And you're not alone. We all sin. Even as Jesus' apostle Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit and what he wrote here in Romans, even he understood that struggle where he just couldn't seem to quit doing wrong. But sometimes we can be guilty of stopping too soon in reading what God's Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write. Because we stop there in Romans 7, and we recognize, we relate to that struggle, oh, wretched man that I am, and we feel that. But we leave the question that he asks there unanswered. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And I think we all obviously know that the answer to that question is Jesus. But still, we, we stop too soon in that reading. We read Romans chapter 7, and we say things like, well, see, even Paul struggled. So we're all going to struggle with sin. See, even Paul struggled. So we're all going to know what the right thing to do is and not do it. We're all going to do the wrong things that we don't want to do. So I guess we just need to do the best that we can and trust that that's good enough. And we may say that, but even among us, sometimes we wonder, is it? Is my best good enough? Or am I going to spend my life trying to follow Jesus? But be one impure thought, one bad word away from stumbling and being lost eternally anyway. Maybe after all of my going to church and reading the Bible, I'm still not going to make it. I'm still not going to be good enough. That's why we need to hear the rest of 
what Paul did. Because Romans chapter 7, verse 25, after asking that question, he continues, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Through his spirit who dwells in you. If you are in Christ Jesus, which is New Testament shorthand that describes when we give our faith to Jesus, we're truly loyal to him as king. When we follow Jesus in that death, burial, and resurrection that he had, by ourselves dying to sin, saying we don't want to be that person we were before, by being buried but in the waters of baptism, so that we come out of those waters to live a new life. Paul is inspired to tell us here that while we struggle, while we're weak, if we are in Christ, there is how much condemnation? Not a lot, not a little, there is therefore now no condemnation. And it's not because we haven't done anything that's worthy of condemnation. It's because God's Son, Jesus, became just like us, which means he knows our temptation, he knows our struggle, yet he came through this life without sin. He lived perfectly according to God's design. You can look at Jesus and you can see who we as human beings were always meant to be, the image of the invisible God. Jesus did something that none of us can do. And by giving his life as a sacrifice, he broke sin's stranglehold on this world. He made a way that we could be right with God, provided we start living according to his spirit. Because that is part of this too. You see, sometimes we only talk about Christ's 
sacrifice and sin's forgiveness. And don't get me wrong, that is a hugely important part of what we're talking about here. But stopping there, as we so often do, still leaves us with the struggle. Because even after we called on the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of our sins, we still have those same weaknesses, those same temptations that caused us to mess up before, continue. And sometimes we sort of wave that away and say, well, except now you can ask for forgiveness. And that's true. But what about the Spirit? What about his part in all of this? As God breathed it out to teach us. Because scripture tells us that the law of the spirit of life sets you free in Christ Jesus. You see what Jesus did on the cross, what he did through his death, burial, and resurrection, what the New Testament is all about is not simply swapping regular animal sacrifices for sin for regular prayers asking for forgiveness. Sometimes we talk about it like that's what it was all about. But what he tells us here is that because of God's Holy Spirit, we have something available to us that wasn't available before. Because God has sent his spirit, we can truly be set free. He gives us help to make a total change in our lives possible so that we don't just keep on sinning. Because the flesh will always be hostile. To God. As long as we're thinking like the rest of the world thinks, as long as we're speaking like the rest of the world speaks, as long as we're acting like everybody else, we are following the ways of death. Even if we believe that Jesus is God's Son, we cannot please God if we keep acting like the world. But if we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, well, that changes things. Because now, instead of this constant struggle, instead of continually messing up and all of the accompanying condemnation that that brings, never feeling good enough, always struggling with guilt, feeling fearful about God, setting our minds on the Spirit gives life. That's how much God wants to help us. Do we realize that? God loves us so much that he gave his son. He loves us so much that he sends his spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead to live in us. To help us do what intentions and rules and efforts alone could not do. Change. Really change into who God wants us to be. In fact, the Spirit's part in all of this is so important that this passage goes so far as to say anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. When we become Christians, God's Holy Spirit becomes the animating, energizing force of our lives. 
He is one who is always with us. In all sorts of situations, he's providing us comfort and clarity and strength. He helps us bring to mind what we should say in different situations. He gives us assurance and boldness, especially when our faith and loyalty to Jesus is being challenged. He helps us in our prayers in ways that words can't even fully describe. He produces in us, coming out of us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. And self-control. That's why the first time the gospel was preached, Peter told those that were cut to the heart by their realization of their sin, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what a gift he is. You see, just studying the Bible, just coming to church, the people who crucified Jesus did all of that. That's what they were in Jerusalem for when they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. That alone isn't enough to solve the problem of sin, to rid us of guilt and fear and condemnation. For that to truly happen, we need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. And we have them. The world has nothing else like this. That's why when you scroll through your social media, that's why when you watch the news, there is so much condemnation. That's why it seems like nothing really changes. That's why there's no peace. But you aren't like them. You aren't in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. You can have life, but we still have something to do. Because as Paul continues in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and children, then heirs. Heirs of God, and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified. Paul was inspired to tell us that if God did all of that for us, we are debtors to not stay the same. We are debtors to not be like everybody else. We should do everything we can to change because now we have the Spirit. So it is our job to get in step with. It's our job to work with Him. Because if we keep being like we always have been, if we seem indistinguishable from everybody else, 
we will die. But the Spirit, he wants to help us put to death the deeds of the body. And that all sounds great, but practically speaking, what does that look like? How does that happen? Well, how hard is it to admit when you're wrong? How hard is it to let somebody else know you're struggling? To let somebody else see your weaknesses? Right now, we are in a room full of people that are in Christ. We're in a room full of people that share the gift of God's Holy Spirit, and we still have a hard time admitting in front of each other that we struggle. That's why that Spirit inspired James chapter 5 and verse 16. Teaching us to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. In our flesh, just living life like we always have, just living life like everybody else, we have no motivation to have anybody else in this world. We have no motivation to open up to anybody else about our struggles. Yet the Spirit gives us conviction that we need to confess. And if we're the person that's hearing that confession, if we're the person that's praying with that brother or sister, he gives us the patience to listen, to weep with, to show him grace and pray with and through all of that, the Spirit provides us help to heal. So if we want to live by God's Holy Spirit, if we want to put to death the sin that's in us, what do you need to confess? And I'm not just talking about publicly bringing reproach on the church, so you better come down this aisle during the invitation song. I'm talking about the sin we all struggle with. The short temper. The selfishness. The gossiping. What do we need to confess? What small group do you need to study with each week where you can do that? What brother or sister do you have the relationship and the trust with that you can call? Because if we were to do that, do you know what would happen? Do you know what the Holy Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, would make possible in your life if we trusted and followed his lead and worked with him? He'd help us stop making excuses as we finally brought our sin into the light. He would give us somebody to hold us accountable and to cheer us on. He would help us change. The Spirit helps us put to death the deeds of the body. So maybe before today is over, if you are ready to have more of God's life and peace in each of your days, you need to schedule a time with somebody else in this room to start praying together this week. Maybe you and that person even need to consider fasting together. Do you know what that is? 
That's where you go without food, or you go without coffee, or you go without social media or TV for a period of time for the specific purpose of emptying yourself out to fill yourself up with God. If we would make those kinds of commitments, if we make those kinds of commitments together, God's Spirit would work within us to help us change. Because as we live life each day, we're supposed to be led by God's Holy Spirit. But what does that look like? Well, think about what normally leads our days. Is your day today being shaped by how much sleep you got last night? Is that what's leading your day? Or whether or not you've had your coffee yet, that's what I relate to, is that what's leading your day? What's leading our thoughts as we start each day? Is it whatever you watched on the news? Is it whatever popped up in your social media? What's leading your feelings? Is it whatever's going on at work with the schedule that you're facing or the demands that you're up against? What is shaping how you think and feel and act as you go into the day? And what if we did what the Spirit inspired in Ephesians chapter 6, 17 through 18 and said? What if we took the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication? Do you know what would happen if our first act each morning was the Bible? If we drank our coffee while we were doing our devotion, if we do that, the Spirit is going to wield His sword to kill those feelings of the flesh within us and prepare us to glorify God as we go into that day. What would happen if every one of us in here started spending our commute time praying or listening to a Christian podcast or an audio Bible? What if we spent our commute singing along to praise and harmony or Christian radio? If we were to do that, we would go into each day with whatever it held, filled with God's Holy Spirit. And if we did it on the way home, we would come back into our houses that way too. Instead of greeting our families weighed down by whatever happened that day, we would bring into our own homes life. Because that is what God's Holy Spirit frees us to do. That's a different point of reference. You see, the fleshly mind asks, well, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to not go to hell? What do I have to do to make it happen? What do I have to do to be a good Christian? That mind decides to come on Sunday morning or Sunday night or, or Monday evenings or Wednesday evenings or Thursday evenings based on if we've got the energy left after everything else, if we've got the time left after everything else, if we've got the desire left after everything else. And if we do it, it might be because we're motivated by obligation. We feel like we have to to be there. There's people counting on us, or there may be people that judge us if we're not there. Or we don't want to risk making God angry at us. But when that is what's motivating us, do you know what Paul called that? The spirit of slavery that falls back to fear. That's not the spirit you have. 
That's not the spirit you're supposed to be led by. You have the spirit of adoption. You're a son, a daughter of God, crying to him, Abba, Father, Dad. Your question is not, do I have to? Your question is, where is the spirit leading me? How may I best give God my Father glory? When that's our point of reference, here's what happens. You may be empty on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. You may be distracted when someone is by you in need or hurting or hopelessly lost. But even though you're empty, in Ephesians 5 says that you will be filled with the Spirit. When addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You may start that day empty, but when you decide to go and serve God anyway, when you decide to go and praise Him anyway, His Spirit is going to fill you up in that emptiness. His spirit is going to change that situation and make that use of time for his glory worth it. Or if you put yourself out there, if you offer to pray with somebody, if you try to give a compassion kit to someone in need, and they reject it. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 14 says that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you when you're insulted for Christ. So your measure of success is not whether or not they let you pray. The measure of success is not if somebody else makes fun of you or laughs at you or says no to you. The measure of success is having God's spirit rest on you. It's being close to God and using each day to do what he wants done. Do you see how different that is? It's not fear, oh, God will be mad at me if I don't. It's not guilt, oh, you're supposed to. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to recognize the opportunities that He gave to us. We want to actively work with Him and feel the joy that God promises to His co-workers. But do you know what else that means? Because this is part of the freedom the Spirit gives. If I or one of our elders or one of our deacons walks up and asks you to do something and you just can't, you can say no. And it's okay. There is therefore now no condemnation. Because if you're being led by the Spirit, the reason that you said no is because you've already got that time occupied for God's glory. You can't do everything. And that's okay. But you'd be happy to pray with me that God sends a laborer who can do that so that God's glorified that way too. See, that's the difference. That's the life and peace that God's Holy Spirit brings because God's glory is what we want. And that is the difference from living in sin. And when that, God's glory, is what we're living for. We know we're forgiven in Christ. We know we're being helped by the Spirit. 
Now, as long as we're in this body of flesh, we're still going to be confused. We're still going to fall short. We're still going to suffer. And anytime we're motivated by guilt or obligation or fear, it is a great big red flag that we need the Spirit's help with that issue. When we find ourselves having thoughts or making comments that are condemning someone else, when we find ourselves making decisions because we're afraid or because we feel guilty, that's a clue. I need to let the Spirit lead me. That's not God's Spirit that produces that sort of feeling. I need to make sure I'm in step with Him. But when we seek that help from the Spirit, He will. When we set our mind on him, when we seek to be led by him, we will change. And that experience of life, peace, and freedom that we have will grow more and more. As will our excitement for when Jesus comes. Because if he can make us so alive, so free right now, how great will it be when he comes again and completely destroys sin and death and we get to live eternally? Will you pray with me? Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, for his death, burial, and resurrection that forgives us that allows us to experience your love, your grace. Thank you for your spirit, for the life, the peace, the freedom, the change that he makes possible in our lives. For all of us who are united with your son, stir us. Help us to recognize the sin in our lives. Help us to recognize the spirit of slavery. Help us, Father, to recognize those ways that the flesh is still too in control. And help us to be convicted to work with your spirit in concrete ways to have those things be put to death and to just experience all the goodness you want to give to our lives through them. And Father, if there is anybody that is hearing this right now that is not united with your son, if there is anybody hearing this right now that has put their faith in Jesus, that has been united with him in baptism, we pray, Father, that you convict, that you stir, that you motivate them to respond, that before they even leave here today, that before this day is done, they confess their belief in your Son, that you buried in those waters of baptism, they receive that forgiveness, that great gift of your Spirit that is only available in the name of your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name.